Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, brothers and sisters. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Contemporary Islamic Law. Today on this episode of the show, we're going to be discussing some jurisprudential terminology. Assalamu alaikum, Sayyidina. Thank you for being with us. Um, often do people pick up the books that contain the rules or the fatwa from their scholars, but don't understand it entirely. So I was hoping that you could explain to us the terminology that you have chosen to introduce to us today. Um, I think one of the dilemmas that people have today, and they often talk about this, is uh, we don't understand the book of Rasal al-Amaliyah um, that is written by scholars uh, for the people. Um, it's very interesting that um, obviously the Rasal al-Amaliyah, the book of laws that contains the Islamic laws, written by the Maraja and the Fuqaha isn't for um, a, a person who studies in the Hawza. The books that are studied in the Hawza um, are completely different and they then discuss in a later stage, they discuss how those laws are formulated. But um, the book that is sent to the people is a reference. When you don't know something, then you look it up in the book of Masail and, and, and you get your answer. But why is it that people don't use those books and they're constantly asking you about every, the smallest of things? Um, it's because the books are so difficult to understand and to comprehend that people have given up at looking at the books altogether. Um, and, and, and that's unfortunate because I feel that our community has... Uh, now become so dependent on scholars and those scholars are like Google, you know, you just keep on Googling and, and, and asking a scholar and when they don't have access to a scholar, they start panicking. Um, it is the job of the scholars, the maraja, the respected seminarians to uh, make the rasala less complicated, make it more simple. I think, you know, we should have rasala al-amaliya, a rasala that is not more than 300 pages, um, and it's more simplified. Anyhow, that is one thing that I wanted to tell my audience. Um, but what I want to introduce today is a terminology that you would find at least once in every page of Arasala. So that's one of the, the very important things that need, we need to understand and, and, and introduce to our viewers, and that is ihtiyat, precaution. What does precaution mean? I mean, is it a yes, I can do it? Is it a no, I can't do it? And that's where people get stuck. And you're like, well, it's ihtiyat for you not to do it. He says, well, I don't understand what it means. So should I do it or should I not do it? Well, well, it's against ihtiyat if you do it. And it keeps people confused. So what is ihtiyat? Obviously, it's precaution. But we have two types of ihtiyat. One is ihtiyat istihbabi, recommended precaution. And one is ihtiyat wujubi. Obligatory. Exactly. It's an obligatory precaution amongst uh, for the mukallaf. 
what does it mean? Let me give you, I mean, it's, it seems like it's a pretty complex issue, but it's actually very simple. Let me give you an example to clarify uh, the recommended precaution. You go to a physician and you, you tell this physician that um, I have some problems in my sleep. And he says, look, you should, for example, drink a lot of fluids. You should sleep on time. You should exercise. Set of different things. And then he says, it's also good if you slept in a dark room. Um, or if you slept in a dark room, it would enhance your quality of sleep. Um, so automatically, this in fiqhi terminology would be seen as al-ihtiyat al-istihbabi. It's recommended. It, you know, you won't die if you don't do it. It's not bad if you don't do it. Um, it's better if you did. So this language within hadith, within the ayat, is seen as ihtiyat that is recommended. And then you go to the uh, to the physician. This is the, this is an example for al-ihtiyat al-wujubi. And he says, listen, if you don't sleep in a dark room, you're going to damage your health. If you do not sleep on time, you may, God forbid, you know, fall into some major illness. Um, if you don't quit smoking, you're going to die. You realize that it, I'm not dying today. If I pick up another cigarette, I won't die. But if I don't stop, then there is going to be great process, harm. Right? That is al-ihtiyat al-wujubi. Now, let me explain how those terms appear in the Rasal al-Amaliyah and what they mean. If the term appears in the, in the beginning of the fatwa, the beginning of the fatwa says, al-ahwat, for example, as a, as a precaution, um, a person should shave their hair after their first hajj, for example, uh, a man. Or al-ahwat, uh, for a person to slaughter his sacrifice within mina, if it is possible. So that is ihtiyat wujubi. And I will say what we have to do when we come across ihtiyat wujubi. But what is ihtiyat istihbabi? What is the recommended ihtiyat? It's when it comes in the end of the fatwa. So he says, and you may, for example, uh, do such and such, though it is recommended for you to do such and such. When it's in the end of the fatwa, then it is only recommended. Now, the only recommended one, you can basically do it or you can neglect it. Um, if you do it, then it is obviously either going to be mustahab, more reward for the person, or a precaution that may not lead into something that is prohibited. However, when the ihtiyat begins in the beginning of the fatwa, it could lead into a prohibition, something that is haram according to the scholar. It's just one tiny bit of evidence needed for that person for that thing to become haram according to the scholar. So he leaves this room for you to go to another scholar. Another scholar that allows you to do it. Another scholar that does not see, um, that does not have the same opinion. For example, this person has ihtiyat wujubi for you to ride in an uncovered bus 
while you're in a state of haram or for you to you must shave your hair in that state of haram uh, after you're done with hajj or you must do your sacrifice in mina after hajj but it is ihtiyat wujubi so what you can do is you can follow another scholar that allows you to sit on a covered bus for example or not to shave your hair or um not to do your sacrifice in Mina. For example, there are scholars that allow you to do it outside Mina. There are scholars that allow you to do it in your own country now. Um, and that is how scholars allow a person um, to refer to another expert's opinion. Now, when it comes to uh, going to another expert's opinion, what do we do? Do we just uh, find somebody who is the easiest one, right? or... Uh, you know, somebody who I feel is uh, is is more flexible. Uh, flexible. That's uh, a discussion of its own, um, uh, relevant to um, the topic of tabiyyid. Uh, can one of them be alam? One of them? No, he doesn't have to be the alam. That's a discussion of its own. I don't think we have time for it now. Thank you very much, Saidna. That was very informative. And thank you, brothers and sisters, for being with another episode of Contemporary Islamic Law. Make sure to share with us your questions, your suggestions, and we will get to them in future episodes. Until then, wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.